Well, if you haven't already, if you would turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And before uh, I jumped off a couple of social media platforms last month and reduced, um, greatly reduced my time on a third, uh, I noticed a trend, and I'm not amongst any of you, but I noticed a trend of people taking uh, headless selfies. And they had headless, they were headless selfies of of themselves, of people showing off their sweat-soaked shirts. And they were standing um, in hot boxes and home gyms and uh, in the midst of barbells and weight racks and on treadmills and on stationary bikes. And they all had captions or hashtags like, do the work. Or put in the work, you know, put, period, in, period, the, period, work, period, whatever that, you know, in social media language. And I was reminded, as I was noticing that, I was reminded of these uh, pithy motivational declarations and affirmations that um, were very, very popular, or have been very popular over the last 30 years. And then I began to do a little research or, you know, kind of look and see if I could remember any of them. And I ran across more than I had remembered Um, Statements like this, I saw phrases like earned, not given, uh, go hard or go home, failure's not an option, it's a step, Uh, victory is paid for in sweat, courage, and preparation, giving up is simply not an option, success isn't given, it's earned, think training is hard, try losing. Uh, You don't get it by wishing. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Make it burn. Work hard. Dream big. Dedicate yourself. Just do it. And of course, if the last one doesn't give it away, there are others that you probably remember. And you know that the company responsible for all of those and many others, right? Marketing geniuses. Because we're still talking about it. And I begin there because... If we were to summarize these two verses in Hebrews, if we were to identify the purpose or what the writer was attempting to communicate, we could, they would sound much like a slogan. It would sound like a slogan, but probably a slogan that, would, that was axed early on in the marketing process. Uh, it definitely wouldn't have made it on a shirt because it just isn't doesn't have that oomph behind it. It doesn't have the selling power that these other statements have. Even though, even though it is a challenge, it's a challenge to, by definition, to exert oneself, to strive hard, to expend energy and strength in performing or attaining something. And that phrase, of course, would be "run the race." And that, of course, is the title of the message tonight. And and what I want to do is break down or, yeah, break down these two verses into three points. The first is, I I hope that we'll see the challenge that's given. I want us to see the course that's been set. And then finally, I want to see, as I mentioned to the children, the champion that's been crowned. Okay, the challenge that's been given, the course that's been set, the champion that's been crowned, it is in the back of your bulletin in outline form there. If you wouldn't mind, let's stand one more time in the honor of God's word. Let's read these two verses again so that they're fresh on our minds. 
We can hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in this is your eternal, infallible, and inerrant word. We would ask that by it and your spirit, you would challenge us and strengthen us, encourage us, and give us rest for our souls. Use me in these moments as you see fit. And it's in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look first at the challenge that's been given. It's the same challenge. It's not a new challenge. It's the same challenge that the writer has been challenging us with from, for almost most of the letter. The language has been different and is different tonight. But the point has been the same. Earlier we've heard things like pay close attention. We've heard don't drift. Don't harden your hearts. Hold fast to the confidence and hope that you have. We've heard things like strive to enter into his rest. Don't shrink back. Endure. And tonight we hear again the same challenge in different words. But he says run the race with endurance. It, of course, is a popular Greco-Roman metaphor that's used. Um, uh, well, it's a Greco-Roman metaphor of an Olympic running competition. And it is used several times throughout Scripture um, to describe the Christian life. Uh, as we said last week, faith expects suffering. So the Christian life is not something that's easy. A life of faith is not easy. But we also learn here in these two verses that it's also not, as I mentioned to the children, not a 100-yard dash. It's not something uh, that's done in 10 seconds, if you're an Olympian, right? It's not something that, that happens that quickly. It's more like a steeplechase, and the steeplechase is a lesser-known Olympic event. It's 3,000 meters in length, and it involves barriers or hurdles. And it also involves a deep water pit. But even more than that, it's more like if we were to really think about it as, as we consider what the writer is saying, it's the Christian life is more like what's called the Hurt 100. I don't know if any of you have heard that before, but the Hurt 100 is a 100-mile all-terrain cross-country race through the backcountry of Hawaii. It's a single-track race with hills and valleys and rocks and roots and 20 creeks to cross. And it is considered by Runner's World magazine as the most difficult and toughest race on the planet. That would be the Christian life. Right? It's, it's, the writer is using this metaphor to lay down the challenge to strive hard, to do the work, to put in the work, to go hard, to expend the energy necessary to live the Christian life, to live that life of faith that we've been talking about. 
And it requires stamina. It requires determination. It, it uh, determination to keep going and to stay the course and to fight through those physical and emotional and mental walls that exist. It asks us to keep going in the midst of faint-heartedness or weariness, to, to use words from verse 3. But he's also communicating that it's something that we have to be committed to. It's something uh, in which we have to decide to do. There are, it's a life of repeated choices that have to be made. And so it's purposeful. The life of faith, the Christian life is is purposeful. It doesn't just happen by accident. It takes willful, concentrated effort over time. And it also involves preparation and training and discipline. And a part of that for particularly the Greco-Roman Olympians was was a a matter of, and and even Olympians today, but uh, at least in part, Uh, They would have to shed extra pounds through diet and exercise, but they would also remove their tunics, which means that actually they would run without any clothes on, but it was an effort to help them perform well. And so the author compares the removal of weight and the removal of those pounds and clothes to the laying aside of weight and sin for the believer. It's necessary for the believer to shed that weight, to shed that sin, if they are to press on, in Paul's words, to press on to the goal of the upward, or to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And there are two things he has in mind. First, most obvious, he's saying that running the race requires a removal of sin that clings to us. And it's a removal of sin that distracts and hinders our running. Uh, it, it distracts because it, it clings to and binds and constrains and entangles. And basically makes it impossible to run. Imagine strands of a cord wrapped around your ankles. And attempting to run a race. And he's not only talking about major sins of lust and adultery or fornication. He's talking about more than hatred and murder and greed or and covetousness and theft or lying. He's also referring to those things that cling to us in such a way that they are unrecognizable. Some, in some cases, discounted and treated, to use a word uh, that Jerry Bridges uses, we, we treat them as acceptable. Right? Sins like anxiety and frustration and discontent and a lack of thankfulness, a lack of gratitude, pride, selfishness, a lack of self-control, impatience, irritability, anger, perfectionism. Judgmentalism, favoritism, envy, jealousy, gossip, slander, flattery. Sins that we can rationalize. Sins that we discount. Those things that are written off many, in many cases as just a part of who we or other people are. Those things that are excused, ignored. And as we do, they slowly but surely impede 
our progress. And they impede our progress due to a lack of attention. But second, and not so obvious, is he's also saying that running the race requires the removal of those non-sinful and legitimate, legitimate things that can also weigh us down. They include activities and possessions and relationships and vocations and hobbies and aspirations and dreams that are all good gifts from the Lord. They're good gifts from Him, but they become distractions because they become more important than the Lord Himself. In other words, they become idols. And they hinder our spiritual growth because the pursuit, the energy and effort that it takes to pursue those things, that effort and pursuit that we should be directed toward God, the giver, is shifted toward the gift or the gifts and it inhibits growth and godliness. So brothers and sisters, as I've already been alluding to, the challenge that was given to the Hebrew readers is given to us today. We have that same challenge before us. We have the challenge to run the race of faith, to not shrink back, to not lose heart, to, to endure to the end in the midst of life. And we've been talking about this over the last month, of course. Life is a matter of ups and downs and highs and lows and successes and failures and triumphs and setbacks. And there are obstacles and trials along the way. And we should expect suffering. And the challenge is to to run well and to do that. We need to be unencumbered. Unencumbered. We need to take off and lay aside those things that bind us. That get in our way and cause us to stumble and fall. And that of course includes... Besetting sins. And I want you to notice in the text those besetting sins that he, the author says easily entangle us. Right? That means that there are sins that, that there, there are sins that don't take much effort for you and I to fall prey to. And the writer has been saying from the beginning that really all it takes is inattention to God in this world. And what those sins may be for you may be different than they are for me. What so easily entangles you may be different than what easily entangles me. What tempts me might be different than what tempts you. But we need each other. Because many times those things are blind. We're blind to our own sins and we need to come alongside one another and help one another so that those things that we may have discounted as appropriate or minor, right? if they're left unchecked, they become detrimental, debilitating, and deadly. And of course, the same is true for those things that weigh us down that aren't sinful. We need to ask if there are activities and if there are possessions, if there are relationships and vocations and hobbies and dreams and aspirations that 
that are dragging us down and are hindering our spiritual growth because our time and energy and attention, because of the time, energy, and attention that we're giving to them, are taking away from our time, energy, and attention that should be given to the Lord. We need to ask if there are things that that are completely within our Christian liberty to possess and participate in. If there are things well within our Christian liberty, places that we can go to that, that have actually become idols and are weighing us down and hindering the running. We may, do, we may need to make a list and run through that list and ask of each one, is this something that is helping me or hindering Is it helping me run or is it hindering my running? And we must make willful, concentrated decisions and, and be purposeful in the hard work that we exert to run this race that we're called to. Because we're called to run it, we're called to endure, we're called to finish So we're, we're given a challenge. The challenge has been given. But notice too, secondly, that the course has been set. And there are two parts to this as well. First, notice that he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. The metaphor he's using involves an arena. There's a large arena and that arena is full of onlookers. Full to capacity, standing room only. And they're there to cheer and encourage the runners on to, you know, to run that steeple race, that cross-country endurance race. But what's different, as I mentioned to the children, what's different about this crowd is that they've all run the race before. They have run the race themselves. They've run the race and they've finished. And he's... Specifically talking about those that we've just read about in Hebrews chapter 11. Right? He's just listed these stalwarts of faith. And he says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses. And so he's saying to all those who are reading that you're not running alone. This isn't a race that we run alone. It's... It's, a, it's But it's more than a running club or a running fraternity. It's, we're talking about a family. It's the family of God and we're running together. And, and those who have run before us are cheering us on and encouraging us as we run now. And, but as William Lane points out, he says the emphasis falls on what current Christians see in the host of witnesses rather than on what the host of witnesses see in current Christians. In other words... The great cloud or crowd of witnesses who are cheering the runners on, how they're doing that or how that takes place is we know that they're cheering us on as we look and read and listen to their stories and their witness to what it means to run the race of faith. We read, it's what we just did. As we walked through chapter 11 and we read those stories and we heard of all the things that they had done and what the Lord had done through them and and for them and how that they had persevered in the faith. And as we were reading those, those stories were uplifting and encouraging us. That cloud of witnesses was, was comforting us as we ran. But notice, secondly... Right, because they're they're the, they're the ones who have 
exhibited, they've been examples of what it means to live by faith. And we read, and we read those stories and we, and we think, I want to do that. I want to live the life of faith the way they've run. But notice, secondly, the writer says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is set before us. So the course has been set. And of course, the, the course has been set by God. And as the examples show us in chapter 11, um, they illustrate for us that the course is different for every believer. Right? The course is different. It's been set, but it's different. Some courses are longer than others. Some, of course, are rockier than others. Some of those courses have more hills than others. But each course is set. And the writer doesn't encourage those who are currently running to attempt to pre-walk the course. When Anna was running cross-country, one of the things that we would do when we would arrive at a race is they would, the, the kids would go out, the runners would go and pre-walk the course to find out what it looked like. You know, it was to help them in some way as they ran. Well, the writer's not encouraging us to somehow pre-walk the race or to somehow determine the next, you know, what's ahead. We can spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's ahead, right? He doesn't tell us that he simply says, run. He says, run. Run the course. Run the course that's been set and run with endurance. And of course, brothers and sisters, we're not alone. You can look to the left and to the right. And you see that you're not running alone. But imagine the arena. And imagine the faces of Noah and Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and David and Daniel and Samson and Samuel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. All. Not looking, shaking their heads in disappointment at your failures. Not laughing and jeering when you fall. No, they're all cheering us on. Their lives are testimonies. As we read through the Old and New Testament, we read of their testimonies that serve to encourage us not to give up, to not turn back, to keep running, to enduring to the, to the end, to finish well. Their stories, as we read them, are saying things like, keep it up, run hard, you can do it. And, and of course the race is not easy. But dare I say that it's simple? And what I mean by that is that, right, we, we should, we, we need to understand that the course has been set. Each of us have a, has a course that's been set, right? That, that course has been set prior to the foundation of the world, and, and those courses vary. We're, we're all on different courses, and the twists and turns are different and the stages are different and this depending on the seasons of life that we're in and even if we're in the same season of life those things change and and comparing our courses or seeking to change our individual course and to make it easier or to make it more difficult is not a part of the challenge 
The challenge is to run. The challenge is to persevere. The challenge is to endure and to be faithful on the course that the Lord has set for you. And for me to be faithful to the course that he set for me. And to run that, that race. Wherever that stage or whatever stage or whatever leg of the race we might be currently running. Regardless of whether we're young and old. Whether we're single and married with or without children in the midst of physical and emotional and spiritual trials with stable or uncertain occupational futures, whether whether you might be on a brief downhill right now or you're staring at an up, uphill climb, whether you're coming up on a blind curve or you can see obviously the obstacles that lay ahead. The call is to hold fast. Stand firm. Don't turn back. Don't give up. Don't give in. Others have done it. Others have done it. You can too because you have the same faith that they have. And the object of that faith is the same. It is a God who is faithful and has made and kept his promises in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the last point. The champion that's been crowned. Back in 2010, Derek Thomas preached a sermon on this passage in which he rightfully and thankfully pointed out that the writer is not only saying, put in the work, or do the work, or just do it. Success isn't given, it's earned. Derek says that would be to turn the gospel on its head. And you see, we know that the race, as I've already mentioned, has been set before us. It is set. It was set before us prior to the foundation of the world. And every leg, every part of it from beginning to end is run and accomplished because of grace. It's run by grace through faith. And that becomes very clear in verse 2. The writer says, looking to Jesus, right? Run with endurance. The race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says, what provides the motivation to run, what provides the ability to run, and what ensures that we finish the race well comes down to one thing, and it's looking to Jesus. Looking at Christ. And he says we're to look, look to him in three ways. As he describes this in, chapter, in, in the second verse. He said first we're to look at him as, as the epitome and absolute perfect example of faith. And he's the perfect example of faith. The author calls him the perfecter of the faith. And to run the race and to endure and to finish well. The runner, the Christian, must keep his eyes upon Jesus. And he uses the, he uses the name Jesus on, person, on purpose because he's talking about God incarnate. Human, God in the flesh, took on flesh and lived a life of faith. He lived a life of faith that was perfected by his endurance and his enduring the cross and despising the shame. And unlike all of the other examples that we've just read through in chapter 11, right? In any other Old Testament or New Testament example, we know that Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. He never experienced a moment in which he doubted his father or his word. And he was fully and perfectly obedient to the point of death on the cross. A shameful death. 
As we read in Isaiah 53, he willfully laid himself down. And why did he do that? Because he looked ahead and he knew the joy that he would experience by pleasing the Father. He knew the joy. He looked ahead and he knew the joy that he would experience by securing his bride. He looked ahead and knew he knew and he would experience the joy that would come due to the crown that would be placed upon his head because of the suffering of death. But we're not only to look at him or look to him as an example of faith, we're also to look to him as the source of faith. He's the source of our faith. In chapter 2, the author also calls him the founder of the faith. And the point is, Jesus is not only an example, but he is the originator and initiator and bestower of faith. Faith is a gift that he's given to us. And he inspires us and empowers us in our faith by his spirit. He actively works in conforming and transforming those who look to him in faith. Conforming him into his own image. So we see him as the source of faith. And then lastly, we look to him as the object of our faith. The example, the source, and the object of our faith. In the language of chapter 6, the word is used, uh, we, we talked about the word forerunner. He's not only, as I mentioned to the children, not only run the race, he's finished the race. He's run the race, he's finished the race, he raced perfectly, and he raced on behalf of sinners. And so we run with our, our eyes, not fixed on the finish line, with the, the tape. But we run with our eyes fixed upon him because he's standing there at the finish line. He's at the Father's right hand, as we've seen throughout our study, interceding on behalf of us, cheering us on. And we're running because of him. We're running for him. We're running to him. And as I mentioned back in January, the word founder could be translated a number of ways. It could be forerunner, leader, author, captain, hero, and champion. And I've used champion because it fits this metaphor so well. Jesus is the ultimate champion of the race. And he as the champion has been crowned. And brothers and sisters, he ran that race for us. Now I'm sure you all remember Paul's words to the Corinthians as he was encouraging them to press on to live a life worthy of their calling. And he says this, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Right? There's encouragement there, there's a challenge for us to run. We want to run, we want, you know, there's a competition and we want to win. Right? That's how we are to run, no doubt. But we need to remember that while we are to run as if obtaining the prize is all riding on us and depending on us, we need to remember that and keep in mind that we would not run, we could not run apart from the Lord Jesus. It's impossible. So we run confidently. 
confidently in, in light of the fact that he is the only one who can and did receive the prize because he, only, he is the only one that ran well enough to do so. He's been crowned. And brothers and sisters, we're all, it's a crowded platform because we're all standing on that first place platform with him with medals around our necks. Having been declared winners because of what he's done. The victory is already ours. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's in that, that that's how we run the race with endurance. That's set before us, right? That's how we run that race that's set before us. And I, some of you are going, here he goes again. I know I've, I've finished, wrapped up sermons many times with these words. Um, and I usually just do the chorus, but I want to do all three verses and the chorus because they fit this passage so perfectly. The hymn writer says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting, He passed and we follow Him there. For us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then, Go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Let's go to him in prayer. Well, Father, may we receive what has been preached with faith and love. May we lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Would you now, by your Spirit, help us to see and to respond? May we see all that is going on around us as a way in which you are bringing about your will and in which you are conforming us into the image of Christ. May we not shrink back. May we endure in the midst of the trials and the, and the difficulties and run the race well. Thank you for Jesus who has run for us. May we live by faith and not by sight. In his name, amen.